You are listening to the Rooted Podcast, the conversation advancing gospel-centered youth ministry. Welcome to the Rooted Podcast. I'm Cameron Cole, and we are sitting today with Dave Wright, who's a member of the Rooted Steering Committee and who is the youth coordinator for the Episcopal Diocese of South Carolina. We're also sitting with Dr. Michael Horton, who is the editor-in-chief of Modern Reformation Magazine. He's one of the hosts of White Horse Inn. He's a professor at uh, Westminster Seminary California. And he, in California, and he has also uh, written more books than your average teenager has sent text messages in their lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which. <laughs> that might be hyperbole, but I don't know. Pretty close. Uh, but anyhow, so... It might, might have been just as frivolous. <laughs> <laughs> right. Over the past several years, the White Horse Inn has had uh, some of the leading voices and scholars on youth ministry and on uh, the study of the spiritual lives of young people. Some of those people have included Ken Creasy Dean, Christian Smith, Thomas Bergler, Brian Cosby. And so today what we're going to talk about is we're going to have a conversation with Mike about uh, just reflections on the state of youth ministry um, where we are now, where we're going, and what are, what are some things that, that we in the church and parents can learn as it pertains to being faithful and ministering to our young people. And so um, first thing I would, uh, would ask is, you know, what are some of the themes that have come up in these conversations uh, and reflections on youth ministry? Well, first of all, Cameron, I have to tell you what a pleasure it is to be a part of uh, rooted. This is. I'm, I'm so thrilled that you, there's an organization like this that is trying to reform youth ministry. Um, so it's it's a huge encouragement. Well, I you know one of the benefits of of doing the White Horse Inn is I get to listen to smart people who actually know what they're talking about and interview them and uh, learn from them. So I'm not coming at this from being an expert at all in the subject. Uh, you and Dave know tons more than I do about it. But, you know, one of the things that I hear again and again is that there is a shallowing uh, that can be statistically backed up, uh, a shallowing of the faith that the younger you go, the less rooted people are in the church, and uh, that there really is a lack of even... Uh, enough Christianity to apostatize from properly. It's not just that people are walking away from it because they hate it, they're mad at it. So they're just kind of losing interest, walking away because there's not really anything to walk away from. And you, you, you meet some of these folks and you read some of the statistics and a lot of them grew up in the church. It's not that they've had no contact. They've grown up in, well, let's say, they've grown up in youth groups, but they haven't really grown up in the church and they don't know they really don't know anything about the basic plot line of the Bible or basic truths of the faith, and there's very little of that formation that goes on at home. In particular, I think in, in listening to some of the conversations, the, the theology of youth ministry has been uh, a topic that has come up. And what would be some of your observations as far as what kids are learning or not learning in churches? Hmm. Well, you know, I think in a lot of cases, it's a reflection of what, what their parents know. Um, you know, we had a generation that, that, that sort of you know, did the sword drills and, 
kind of uh, memorized Bible verses. I was part of that generation. We hated it. Not long after, a lot of churches stopped doing that sort of thing. and It was all fun and pizza and games and so forth. And parents increasingly wanted uh, their, you know, when they were young, they wanted to be part of the Jesus movement and the church as a party and so forth. And they thought that's what their kids would want too. And so I think they just, each successive generation has dumbed things down to the point where it's very easy for, uh, for young people to say, look, no one has answers for me. And they get ready to go off to college and they've never really, uh, they've never really understood what is this Christianity thing? I have some really good friends from youth group, but I, I don't really know what it's all about. And then they get to their philosophy 101 class or their uh, science courses, and they just assume that they were Christians, and now there are good intellectual challenges to that, and walk away from the faith, when it would have been really nice when they were at that age to be questioning things, to really do apologetics. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of people don't even think that that's a good thing to be. Why would you want to be encouraging them to question their faith? Well, would you like them to do that in church and with your family before they leave for college or when they're in the fraternity or sorority? So it's going to be done at some point. They're going to question it. Um, increasingly now you know i'm raising kids watching watching them sometimes with horror watching how differently they make decisions compared to when i was growing up just because they're faced with really terrific uh assumptions in the culture that that i never had to deal with i mean they're dealing with uh sexual identity because People at school, uh, you know, are, are uh, quote-unquote, coming out, and they're, they're wrestling with all kinds of... Yeah, good night. It, there's, a, there's a lot of pressure out there, and if people don't have their faith to fall back on as an anchor to give them you know, some kind of rootedness, then, um, you know, just the, the pressures are enormous to go in the other direction. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Uh, something that people talk about too is just kids not being equipped with a theological apparatus to handle suffering yeah. or tragedy, and mm-hmm. they really are left uh, left in a hopeless position. Uh-huh. And it, you know, we react as it, almost as if we don't expect bad things to happen. Right. When they right. in the world when no one you know no one escapes life's buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that was brought up. Um, several times in those interviews was catechism. Mm-hmm. Dave, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this too, but um, you know, it's it, it, you know, talking about equipping kids theologically and having them ask, you know, having them question their faith or asking them questions about faith. Uh, could either of y'all talk, or maybe both of y'all talk about um, you know, catechism as mm-hmm. something that maybe people perceive as old-fashioned or or uh, you know dogmatic, but as something that is a really could be a valuable thing in you know in households and in churches. Mm-hmm. Well, I think 
I think the new way to do youth ministry and I think the way forward is actually going way back. <laughs> it's really going backward a long ways, uh, backward in, in a good sense. And uh, there's, a, there's, there's a number of different denominations that are looking now and saying, wait a minute, we threw away a catechism a long time ago and we were mm-hmm. teaching the faith to our young people. We were passing the faith from one generation to the next with clarity of doctrine and we stopped doing that and now look at the mess we're in. Mm-hmm. And so why not bring that back? And certainly in the Anglican Church, there's a, there's a brand new catechism that's come out that there's a lot of people that are very excited about putting into place mm. and figuring out how do, we, how do we do this in our congregations and so forth. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, the Heidelberg Catechism is, is what we use in our churches and at home. And... And then, and that's a, a really important point. I think it only catechism only works if it's done at home as well as church. I mean, you can't possibly take your kids to church for uh, a couple of hours uh, on Sunday and imagine that the church is going to do this for you. Um, you're not a consumer. The church is not a provider. Uh, you know, we have to do this together as parents and churches. But man, you think about the, the questions that we, that we ask throughout life, the way that the Heidelberg Catechism starts out, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Good night, really, right out of the gate? And you know, you start reading the questions and answers to the Heidelberg Catechism or the Westminster Shorter Catechism or Luther Small, you know, other, you start reading them to people who are skeptical about catechism, and they, they lose that skepticism pretty quickly when mm. they actually hear this and say, you know what, I would love to memorize that. Mm. And, it, you know, we, we, uh, you read what um, some of the CEOs and marketing directors of major Fortune 500 companies say, like, if you can get a kid uh, at five years old, you have them for life. Wow. You know, you get these, you get these sort of backroom statements that they don't just publish in Newsweek, but these pretty crass kind of things. Um, and yet we, I think it, a lot of us in ministry think, well, I don't want to shove religion down the children's throat. It's got to be their own. They have to own it. It's like, no, they don't have to own it yet. There is a time when they own it. Right now they need to learn it. Then they can own it or disown it later. But now they need to... We're so afraid of shoving our religion down their throat because the culture rams that catechesis down our throat. And we just got to say, look, everybody's catechizing our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. For- I was going to say one of the things that uh, uh, Kendra Greasy Dean said in her interview is she talked about how, you know, catechism is a phenomenal tool for parents themselves to learn theology. Because the thing is, a lot of parents think that they have to have a PhD or a Master of Divinity in order to be a a spiritual voice in their child's life. Well, catechism has the questions and the answers right there. Yeah. And you're you're working on it together. Do you know a good book I can use to, you know, people ask that all the time, right? Highly yeah. engaged parents who say, I really want to know. Well, here it is. Like for a long time, centuries, this is how 
parents have taught the faith to their kids. Yeah. It works. <laughs> so I, a question I have, and this, this, is a, this is a 20 hour or 20 day question, but um, you, you, know, you, you can be brief on this, but when I read about moralistic therapeutic deism and read the, the kind of theological beliefs of kids, to me there is a fair amount of similarity in terms of the anthropology and the soteriology between what kids believe today and what Martin Luther was reacting to in medieval Catholicism. And so could you maybe make some connections in terms of what Luther theologically was re relating to, or sorry, was, was critiquing and, and what the answer was to that? Because I, I, I think, you know, and I, I, obviously the title of your magazine is Modern, <laughs> Modern Reformation, but I, I, you know, I think there's probably no better person to look back to than Luther because to me, modern Reformation is, I mean, sorry, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, <laughs> quite the opposite, uh, but moralistic therapeutic deism is just, it's just very, very similar to what yeah. the Reformation was built in response to. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the therapeutic orientation is modern. Um, the deism is modern. But I think that the, the, really what holds that that whole uh, jumble of things together um, is the moralism. Uh, as Christian Smith says that, you know, the average person says that uh, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, but I'm a good person and everybody I know is a good person. We're all going to make it pretty optimistic. The big difference, I think, at the time of the Reformation was people like Martin Luther grew up afraid. They, they were terrified when they walked into church and saw a sword coming out of Jesus' mouth as they entered the, the church. Uh, they didn't think of Jesus as their buddy and each other as being basically good. Uh, they, were, they were guilty, and they, they were willing to cough up some money if that's what it took mm -hmm. to help things out. Uh, so I think that I think there there are really big differences, but I think what you point out there, it, the biggest similarity is, we we keep looking for new ways to do Pelagianism, the the heresy of self salvation, and what we're doing with moralistic therapeutic deism is just another verse of that hymn. Uh, I got I I did it my way. And uh, I, uh, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And it's shocking that, you know, that was a medieval slogan. Uh, God will not deny his grace to those who do what lies within them. And everybody recognizes, you know, well, all oh, that sounds like God helps those who help themselves. Well, according to one study, 80% of the evangelical surveyed thought that was a biblical quotation. So what we're talking about here is a church that is functionally medieval at best, but then you add to it the deism and the therapeutic orientation. And in a therapeutic orientation, it's not just that people are Pelagian, it's that the categories of sin and grace don't even mean the same thing that they used to mean. So I think we're actually, in, in some ways, in, a, in a, a situation more remote from from biblical Christianity than, than was true in the Middle Ages. 
but of course it's Christ's church and and we shouldn't despair. <laughs> we shouldn't despair. <laughs> Do I have a question? No. Um, or a comment? <laughs> I'm gonna... Well, um, I guess we can maybe wrap up in this way. Um, well, I do. Have, I mean, if you were asking in general if I had any questions. Oh yeah, go for it. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't know if you had meant just particularly regarding yeah. what he just said. Um, one of the things that that Cameron and I have been talking about, and I've been wrestling with with some other youth ministers, is with with Rooted and with some of the other folks I work with. We've been trying to reform youth ministry and been uh, gathering folks who who are doing gospel-centered, biblically uh, grounded youth ministry and getting young people integrated into the life of the congregation and so forth so that, you know, things, things are changing. Um, but uh, one of the things we're running across is there is a generation of pastors and church leaders and even parents that want something else. They mm -hmm. want what youth ministry was in the 80s or mm -hmm. 70s. And uh, we wonder what your thoughts are on mm. how, do, how does that get addressed? How do we particularly, you know, when a youth minister's got a pastor who's saying, no, no, you need to do more fun and games, less Bible, you know, that kind of thing. How do, how do you think we deal with that? First of all, do you see that a lot? Because I'm seeing that more. But What we see that's astounding is pastors who are teaching Scripture, proclaiming the gospel, they have a good philosophy of ministry. But at the youth level, they don't want that to Because all they know is youth ministry is pizza. Yeah. It's as if, yeah, they, it's, it's as, as if the, you know, the research and the literature that we've been talking about in this conversation it's like they didn't know that it occurred. Mm -hmm. wow. And so they're, they're replicating, uh, replicating models that are very ineffective. Their own youth group experience, yes. maybe. Yeah, exactly. And huh. sort of even, we've even had youth pastors who are trying to do like good gospel-centered youth ministry be like <laughs> obstructed by their senior pastor wow. who does that at, at big church. It's, it's, it's been really surprising and interesting to us. That's, mm -hmm. That That's is awesome. really interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think that, wait a second, I, I forgot, uh, I was just astounded by, by that fact that I wanted to hear more about it, so I Didn't mean to blow your mind there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, um, um, I mean, what, what, what we're struggling with is how do we communicate to, to pastors what youth ministry ought to be, yeah. rather than what it has been in the past, and mm -hmm. help them understand that what's been in the past hasn't produced the mm -hmm. fruit that we want the church to be and also the the great inconsistency that we see between good healthy vibrant bible teaching churches that don't expect their youth ministry to be that way mm -hmm. uh, and maybe even some of those churches are supporting parachurch youth ministries that are totally not that way right. and they think it's great because there's some evangelism being done there's mm -hmm. seeds being planted or whatever and really there's not there it's there's there's a great inconsistency there well don't you think that that's a big part of it you mentioned parachurch ministries so much of youth ministry has been driven by parachurch not surprisingly then so much of youth ministry even done by the church really is parachurch yeah. mm -hmm. so you're not incorporating people into the life the ordinary not teaching them how to basically take their place in the succession of the covenant of grace in the in the life of the church um that, I mean, I would hope pastors would say one of my most valuable assets is 
a youth pastor whose goal is to link the young people to the ministry that I lead here, Mm -hmm. the ministry of word and sacrament and discipline. Um, The goal is for them to be, um, you know, active church members. Um, But I forgot, sorry, I'm trying to, um, oh yeah. But what you're saying about uh, about pastor and it's you know these generalizations that um, uh, are disproved by all sorts of great exceptions. I run into with white horse Inn stuff. I run into this all the time. Uh, uh, prisoners, for example, who we have a new uh, initiative called Core Christianity, and it's a book and it's a it's a, a Bible study online and everything. We get comments from prisoners that are, you know, maybe written in crayon, but really profound questions and engagement with this stuff. And then we've heard from pastors, this is too hard for people in our congregation. We really couldn't do this. This is, this is too hard for them. And you would say, basically, I'm talking to people with a third grade education, mm-hmm. and they're handling this. They're dealing with it, and it makes me just think, pastors, a lot of pastors are just not interested in the Bible and theology. There's some great exceptions, yeah. but yeah. I don't that's, know. That's more broadly true in the mainline churches than it is in the, in the more strongly evangelical mm. churches. Mm. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, and to your point, you know, we have students that, and this isn't true in all contexts. I'm at work in a, I work in a context where most of my students are, they have college-educated parents, and so they have some advantages in that way. But, you know, it, in a large portion of the American population, we have an expectation that kids can do, you know, complicated physics in high school. Yeah, that, right. That they, you know, I have plenty of kids who can read Latin and who... Or learn how to use an iPhone. Exactly. <laughs> Kids, kids who are you know writing programs and things like that, and yet we you know act as if uh, for whatever reason there's such a mm-hmm. limited expectation of what they can do in terms of their theological education. Yeah. Yeah. Or think of what we, or think of what we do to prepare our kids to get into a good college. Right. And co- compare that with what we are doing to prepare them to be Christians when they go to college. Sure. Mm-hmm. Or to be judged by a holy God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of, that's <laughs> Trumps it. Trumps it all. An A-lister. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess. Um, I, I guess one last question, and this could be kind of a, it lead to a long conversation, but would be so we've seen a lot of problems. You know, a lot of the problems are related to uh, parents not being involved and churches not doing enough to equip and educate parents about their role. Uh, we talked about issues related to, you know, kind of ecclesiology, but kids not being integrated into the church. Quite honestly, uh, you know, the, the, the ecclesiology, the theology of the church that a lot of Christians, and particularly kids, have is non-existent. Yeah. It's, it's either bad or non-existent at all. Um, and we talked about the theology. Um, I think it'd be interesting to talk about, you know, do we, where do we see youth ministry headed right now? One of the conversations you had with Christian Smith he said, I don't necessarily know where things are going. And so it may be interesting for us all to maybe chime in on maybe some positive progress, because this is, this is something now that's a 
conversation that's been going on for over a decade now. Um, but where do we see some signs of progress and where mm -hmm. uh, do we need to move forward? I'm eager to hear your thoughts. I can jump in right away. Um, in the last 10 years, we've seen, um, we have seen a, a movement that seems to be taking place across the country that uh, spans across different denominations where churches are waking up to the fact that parents are meant to be discipling their kids. Wow. And so we've Crazy had a number Lord. of people come into our diocese and teach in our churches um, to teach parents that, A, this is what you're supposed to be doing according to what the Bible teaches, and B, here's how to do it. Mm. Um, and we've even have developed some folks who have been teaching grandparents how to disciple their grandchildren because mom and dad aren't doing that, wow. because mom and dad maybe aren't that involved in the church anymore. Um, and that's, as we saw it popping up in our context, all of a sudden we're, we're seeing it amongst Baptists, we're seeing it amongst um, a, a number of different denominations where there's just different people that have, have independent of one another, uh, started teaching this and really emphasizing this. Wow. And, and I'm looking and going, praise God, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a really noticeable movement towards yeah. restoring that uh, responsibility of discipleship and so there's a conferences that have started up that are that are about that and there's conferences that are focusing in on how do we make more consistency between children's ministry youth ministry and and so forth and and get parents connected to all of this so that we're all in this working together mm, that's wonderful I think too I, I think there is there are some really positive voices encouraging people to integrate kids into the church uh, mm -hmm. you know, you do hear that more now. Yeah, yeah. You know, Fuller Seminary even has a, a very good practical program that oh. kind of leads people in that direction. And so I think those are both. And again, this is you know across different um, theological and denominational, uh, across a pretty wide span. You see this pretty, pretty consistently coming up. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the Fuller Youth Institute, I think is what it's called, has done, um, done a number of studies on where they've come up, come to the conclusion that that teenagers who stay with the faith are teenagers who have grown up in the congregation, not just in the youth group. Wow. And they've grown up integrated in that life of the church, and they've got intergenerational relationships. Right. And where huh. that's been present, kids have stayed with the church. Oh, I'd and love to see that And where that's not study. been present, kids have, have fallen away. Wow, that's fascinating. I think in my own context, what I've seen is um, sometimes among younger pastors especially, a pendulum swing away, so so far away from, especially the ones who were in very loosey-goosey, you know, kind of evangelical environments, there is a tendency to say, to heck with youth ministry. Uh -huh. We're not going to have any youth mm -hmm. ministry. Um, the pastor's going to do the catechism, and it's, it, you know, they're going to be connected to the church the same way middle-aged and older people are connected to the church. The pastor is going to lead them just as he leads the rest of the congregation, and they're gonna, they're gonna have that sense of, really, the pastor <laughs> was my pastor. Yeah. Now, there are some wonderful things there, and I think um, it's so shocking to a lot of people today to, to you know, that kind of model might be might be really shocking, but I think that that has to be heard 
How does that go? What does that look like? That should be a part of the conversation too. Personally, um, I think it's an overreaction. It's a, an overcorrection that will come back. Mm-hmm. But I do see some real pluses Absolutely. in pastors doing a lot of the work that used to be just kind of shuffled off to youth pastors. But I hope that the that the time is coming in some of our circles where uh, there is a place for youth ministry, but where where youth pastors are intentionally plugging young people into the life of the church, and they see their job, their goal, really as, hey, I'm getting getting our kids ready for profession of faith or confirmation. Yeah, and I think with that being said, I think this is something we believe with rooted, and, and it's it's you know a, a direction that we're heading in with our conference and with our blog. But we think if if a church their solitary solution to the spiritual development of kids is just the youth ministry. I just think it's, I think it's a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a waste of money, and it, it may be more harmful than it is helpful for the kids. I, I think a youth ministry has to, a church has to think of a youth ministry um, as a partner with the parents. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we, you know, we do really do believe that a 23-year-old youth pastor, they can't give a parent parenting advice. You know, that the mm-hmm. parent needs to lean on older people in the congregation <laughs> for mm-hmm. that. But in terms of offering insights into how you can communicate spiritual truths to your child, mm-hmm. helping parents understand the context of a child, um, giving them direction on you know, practical ways that they can you know, spiritually invest in their children, that is something that, a, that a, a young youth pastor can do. And so I think mm-hmm. that um, one of the things we're committed to is equipping a 23-year-old youth pastor with some tools to be able to be a credible resource, to be mm. a humble, credible resource yeah. to parents. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that um, I think that that's just this emphasis on equipping and encouraging and really honestly educating parents because most parents don't even know mm-hmm. that it's their responsibility. They live in such an outsourced culture yeah. of mm-hmm. I send my kid to Little League for athletic development and I send them to the tutor or school for academics and to the violin or the piano teacher for music, and I send them to the church for spiritual development. Okay. I mean, most parents that I encounter have never been taught, never knew that they biblically have a role in mm-hmm. spiritually investing in their child. So you think we have a, a, a couple of weeks here of catechesis for the new members class? As people are coming in, just, hey, folks, I have to have a heart-to-heart with you. This is, this is a joint thing. The church is not a service yeah. provider. We're, we're, we're working together as a body on, mm-hmm. on this thing called the pilgrimage to the holy city. Yeah. And we're with you. you know, we're, not a, we're, we're all the body of Christ. <laughs> right. And, it, and in, you know, in, our, in, our, in our church, like, that is communicated. We do infant baptism. That is communicated before baptism. Like, we're mm. in this together. You have a role. Yeah. We hand them, we hand them a resource kit with little tools, just to, yeah. just so that they know. So serious. This is a partnership um, that you know that we're in together. Amen. Well, um, anything else? Any, any parting shots here, particularly like maybe on the theology of youth ministry or things along those lines? 
I'm really eager to hear what you all do uh, and to see the Lord use Rooted uh, as a way of uh, really not just calling attention to some important issues, but more importantly, providing constructive resources for for youth pastors uh, so that they actually have something that they can use to implement their vision for providing a, a deeper and more, root, more, more rooted faith. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time. We really enjoyed being with you, and um, God bless you in your ministry. Thank you. You too. Thank you. To learn more about Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry, please visit our website at www.rootedministry.com. Music has been provided by High Street Hymns. You can access their music at www.highstreethymns.com. Alleluia, alleluia.